I'm Father Len Cowan, part of the Journey Preaching Team, and I'm speaking to you from our home, the Abbey of the Way, in Worcester. I sure wish we could all be together for worship today, but in these days of coronavirus, I really appreciate our church's thoughtfulness in proceeding carefully with reopening buildings for public worship. Nonetheless, I don't know about you, but I'm just really tired of all this. Whereas the pandemic used to make me nervous, now it just wears me out. We've moved from the acute phase of this stressful situation in which some of us had trouble sleeping or relaxing into the chronic phase in which we're just plumb wore out. For some of us, we're also exhausted by the chronic stress of persistent racism coming to us every day from individuals and from systems that oppress us. An ugly fact of life seen in the killings of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, or Ahmaud Arbery. For others of us, the recent killings and the violence in it and around it has heightened our anxiety, compounding our stress. For still others, it has raised stressful questions about racism and our role in it and how we should respond or change. So all of us are doubly stressed in these days and we all need help. So I was talking with my therapist about how I'm just tired and she explained this difference between acute and chronic stress and then she recommended two things and that's part of why I see her. She recommended exercise, which not many of us, including me, are getting a lot of, but it does have a unique way of balancing our hormones and just being outdoors has a way of lifting our spirits. Hey, we could even exercise while we're worshiping today. But then the therapist recommended something else that I do know a lot about, and that's prayer and meditation. But when she put it that way, it did get me thinking. Have you ever heard of the phrase, prayer changes things? Well, I don't like it very much. It reminds me of how I feel when people say to me, by way of consoling me in some situation, well, at least you've got your faith to help you. Yeah, but it's not the faith that helps me. It's God. It's not prayer that changes things. It's God. What I need and what you need is God, the presence of God. Actually, let me make that a little more clear. We have the presence of God always, everywhere, whether we know it or not. But what we need is the awareness of the presence of God. Now, we've been walking through this series of messages entitled, Now What? Finding God's Paths in Seasons of Change. We've considered what it's like to live in the shadow of death and in grief, which can be good grief, in a season in which we feel like exiles. We've already seen how with Jesus, this might become a season for meaningful change in our lives, where we can seize opportunities to as Pastor Paul said, do the right thing with Jesus. Well, today, I want to add the ridiculously obvious. Whatever we do in this season, we need to do in and by the presence of God. Paul says to the Christians in Colossae, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So I'd like us to look at accessing the presence of God as seen in the life of Moses, that's a very apt story for these doubly stressful times we're living in today. So turn in your Bible or your Bible app to the second book of the Bible, to Exodus, the second chapter. 
Now Moses was one of the descendants of Jacob who had come down to Egypt to enjoy the favor shown to an Israelite prince of Egypt, Joseph. These exiles prospered in Egypt, but eventually began to be seen as a threat to their Egyptian rulers. So Pharaoh, the king, ordered that masters would be placed over the Israelites, and they would be oppressed by slavery, making their lives bitter. But God's people continued to prosper numerically, such that the king eventually attempted genocide of Israelite boys, a plan that failed, but the oppression continued. Now, does this sound familiar? A people enslaved, oppressed with genocide? But God, the presence of God, was with the Israelites, causing one of their own, Moses, to be adopted by the king's daughter. Now, we don't know much about Moses' childhood. We do know that he was given a Hebrew name, Moses, and that he was raised Egyptian. As such, Moses was the perfect mediator between two peoples, the chosen deliverer who would in effect set both peoples free, the one from slavery and the other from the sin of oppression. So in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 11, we read this. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and he watched them at their hard labor. Moses noted the hard labor of his own people, the scripture says, the Hebrews, and the violence being inflicted upon them. Now, this happened only when he had grown up, and Stephen, in his message in Acts 7, retelling the story, says that Moses was 40 years old before he saw what was going on. It can take a long time to notice injustice done to other people, at least it did for me. And it can also take a long time to claim your heritage and identity or rights in your oppressive circumstances. Well, we read on. Moses saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And again, there's one of his own people. Now, this is probably not the first time that Moses saw this, but this day he saw it. He saw the injustice and he hated it. And that's just like God. God hates injustice too. In Isaiah 61, 8, God says, I, the Lord, love justice, but I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In this, God and Moses agreed. But we read on, looking this way and that and seeing no one, Moses killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. But then, you see, Moses takes that injustice into his own hands, murderous hands, just as we've been doing ever since. God hates injustice just as much as Moses, but God wants to eradicate it through Moses and through his people today, rather than our taking matters into our own hands. And then verse 13. The next day, Moses went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. Moses murdered secretly, but eyes were watching and were recording. 
Injustice will always be outed. Sin is never secret. And the question of those other people is a good one, which Moses needed to hear, and we need to hear it too. Who made you ruler and judge over us? The answer is no one. God alone is king. God alone is sovereign. He is on the throne, not me, not we. So Moses had to flee the land of the king who now wanted to kill him. So he travels to the east. He settles in Midian, which is modern-day Saudi Arabia. He marries. He's had children. He tends the sheep far from the suffering of his own people. But God heard the people's cry for deliverance and for a deliverer. And so after 400 years of slavery and oppression, he called 80-year-old Moses to take part in rescuing his people by drawing Moses into his presence. Remember this, it's never too late to enter into God's plan, even if you're age 80. So picking up now in Exodus chapter 3, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. So Moses turns aside to see this strange sight of a non-burning-up bush. And then verse 4, When the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Moses encountered the presence of the living God, and it changed him forever. It gave him a purpose. It gave him a plan. It gave him a destiny. To be the one to bring God's people, the Israelites, out of their bondage at last. He met the presence of God right at the beginning here and throughout. Because skipping now down to verse 11, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. God promises his presence to sustain and to guide and to empower Moses. There's nothing like God encountered, experienced, sought after to sustain us in challenging days and to keep us on the right way. Now, you probably know the rest of the story, how God used Moses and others to get his people out of bondage and eat, get them across the Red Sea, gave them the commandments and started to guide them into the promised land. And you probably also know that most of those who were delivered never got to that land due to what happened when they made a golden calf to worship instead of the presence of the living God who was right there with them. Without the presence of God, they would wander, led by the God of the self. Now, today's technology brings us good things like this service, but it can also be like a golden calf because it can tell us that we're omniscient, that we can know everything, and that we're omnipresent. We can be everywhere. 
But in fact, it usually just manipulates us by feeding us a reality of our own invention and leading us in virtual circles. That's why we need to encounter the presence of the living God. For as God said to Moses, who did not worship the golden calf, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Without the rest of God, we tend to act erratically, self-centeredly, and hurriedly in ways that don't help us or certainly don't help others. Without accessing the presence of God, we don't enter into the rest of God, like the Israelites who wandered restlessly for 40 years. We can spend a lifetime without deep and abiding rest if we pursue our lives without the presence of God. But Moses would routinely enter into what he called the tent of meeting, as Exodus 33 and verse 11 says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And he sought the Lord's presence in that chapter, saying, Lord, show me your glory. And so God invited Moses to hide himself in a cleft in a large rock so that he could draw near to God as the glory of God moved past him. And Moses said to God, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. Without your presence, we can't go on. And that's just as true today as it was then. So as you and I deal with the a chronic and acute stress from social pandemics, both viral and unjust, Finding that rest from what we can act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with God. We need to practice the presence to come into the presence of God. So how might we do that? Well, for those watching today, you've already taken a very good step. You could gather weekly with believers in worship and in fellowship. Follow the pattern of Jesus and all the disciples in the New Testament, not only to be in public worship every week, but also to be connecting face-to-face -face in smaller groups, to share hearts and minds and souls. Doing this isn't just advised or commanded in the case of keeping holy the Lord's Day, the Sabbath day, right now, but worship and group fellowship are also an invitation to connect with the Lord the Lord of the Sabbath, who promises that whenever two or three are gathered together in his name, including on Zoom and Google Hangouts and FaceTime, there he is in the midst. I know that God shows up in gatherings like this when his word is preached and studied, where his name is adored, and where he gets first place in the hour together. Now, sometimes I'm not all there, but even if I'm somewhat there, it's more likely that I'll enter into the presence of God if uh, 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 more likely to enter into the presence of God than if I'm on the golf course, on the computer, or in bed. So we can gather regularly for worship and fellowship, and we can also regularly turn aside when we sense God's call or notice something unusual going on. Now that sounds kind of spooky, but it's not. We can follow the example of Moses who simply turned aside when he noticed this weird phenomenon, the perpetually burning bush that wasn't getting burned up. He stopped his sheep tending and he went over to look and there was God. 
Whenever you notice a circumstance in which God may be present or which you wish God would be present, just turn aside. Take a time out. Walk away. Close the door. Go inside yourself. Pray. That's what Moses learned to do when he regularly went into the tent of meeting to deal with circumstances that really needed God. In the tent, he'd meet God, gain his perspective, and then come out changed. This is the kind of thing my pastor daughter Sarah calls a kairos or a God moment, a biblically defined sense of time that can be full of God's presence. She pictures it like this in the diagram, which is now in front of you. You're walking along in chronos, chronological time, and something happens, or something strikes you, or something even frightens you, and you have a choice. Either continue on with life as usual, which in some cases might be an illusion, or to turn aside to deal with the situation. Look for God in it. Bring your beliefs, either biblical or false, before him and respond in some kind of praxis, a reinforced or a new practice of living in his presence. And so you can emerge changed from this godly kairos interruption. For example, and here's the second diagram. We're walking along in chronological time back in January, February of this year, and along comes a pandemic out of nowhere. With its disruption, its limitations, its discomfort, its disillusionment, and we can either ignore it, as many did to their own peril, and as many are now doing with no masks, longing to get back to normal, which is another kind of denial, or we can face into the fear and disruption and turn aside and stop and look for God and listen to his voice, his word, and to reach out to the Holy Spirit, to confront the false belief that we're either invincible or we're extremely fragile, and instead find our strength in God and adopt new ways of living in his presence, what really can become a new normal. You get the picture? We can regularly turn aside into these kinds of tents of meeting with God. We can also routinely remember the presence of God from past encounters. That's what Moses and the people of God did when they created physical memorials at times when God met them, such as the Passover meal, which every year recalls God delivering them from Egypt. Or they're storing some of the manna bread that God provided in the wilderness, not to store it away for future consumption because it would grow foul that way, but so that they and future generations could see it and recall how the presence of God has fed them and will feed them in the wilderness. For example, that's why we read the Bible, to remember what God did, including the ways he's addressed us and changed us through his word. That's why we have church buildings and other gathering places, special places like this one, to meet God. That's why some people keep a spiritual journal recalling God's presence and engaging with him. That's why Hallie and I do the daily examen, which is a brief time each day, usually before bedtime, when we take some silence 
to recall where we sensed God's presence over the last 24 hours and where we felt the absence of God's presence. Then we share one of each with each other without comment or correction. Now, families can do this, asking children, for example, to remember the good of the day and the bad of the day, what one family calls the gratefuls and the grumbles. St. Ignatius of Loyola, who designed the exam, and he said that if there's one practice, it should be this one, a way to remember God's presence so you'll recognize him when he comes. And finally, we can perpetually practice the presence of God. Moses knew that without God's presence, they couldn't go on, and that's true for you and for me and really for everybody. All the plans that you and I make to change our lives or other people's lives or circumstances or change the world, they won't get much of anywhere without the presence of God who empowers, convicts, restores, heals, forgives, upholds, strengthens, defends, or thwarts to fulfill his good plan for us and for his world in his son, Jesus Christ. So we can be practicing his presence. That's what Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 when he said simply, pray continually or pray without ceasing. Now, this doesn't mean that we have a never-ending worship service or an eternal prayer meeting or keeping our heads bowed and our eyes closed all the time. It's simply a perpetual going within your heart to that special place where you've already invited Jesus to enter in and just to be aware of him as you're going about your other tasks. This is actually the original multitasking, resting in the conscious presence of God, even as we're focused on other tasks, people or circumstances around us. It's where the Kairos time of God and the Kronos time of humanity meet in you. In fact, it's what I've been doing right now as, as I'm talking to you and perhaps what you're doing right now as you're listening to me, getting in touch with the presence of God, practicing his presence. Now, there's a great little book that describes this practice. It's really helpful in beginning to live the conscious presence of God moment by moment. This is an amazing adventure to try out. Now, all of this practicing the presence of God, regularly worshiping, turning aside, remembering that God, and practicing his presence within, it isn't easy at first. It's kind of like when you learn to ride a bike or drive a car. You kept falling off or you kept hitting curbs or worse. But then with a little practice, 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 it becomes more and more natural, like that new normal that we're all looking for. In fact, let's just take a moment right now just to check in on him and then we'll finish the message. Let's take a moment just to turn in and practice the presence of God. And there he is, right with us. 
Over my shoulders behind me are two icons, which are Eastern Orthodox Christian representations of Bible truths. They remind us of what God is up to in these difficult days. The first one on your left pictures the coming of the Holy Spirit lighting on each of the disciples on the day of Pentecost. I believe that the Holy Spirit is doing that right now. He's lighting up upon believers and some non-believers in the name of Jesus, and that we'll see more of that action in the days to come. As we practice the presence of God, inviting the Holy Spirit to work on and through us, it will prepare us for what he'll be doing in the days to come in what's called revival. And that's what's pictured in the second icon on your right, the resurrected and ascended Jesus, smashing the gates of hell under his feet and dragging Adam and Eve out of their graves in hell. That's the real thing that's going on in this world right now. It's been going on forever and it'll go on until Jesus comes again. So don't be deceived by what you're hearing from the usual news. Though the whole world were to fall apart, God is at work resurrecting all those who will embrace him and setting them to work, rescuing people and restoring this world so that when he comes at the end, it'll more closely resemble the just, true and loving world he has prepared for those who love him. Let's practice his presence once again as we pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your presence, which I feel right now. And I pray that each person watching, including those who are in the church building, will experience the presence of God right now. And that you would send us forth from this gathering and that we would be practicing your presence in the ways that have been suggested or maybe in other ways. And that in these days when we're confined to places and feeling limited or feeling threatened, or even being oppressed, we pray, Lord God, that your presence would see us through. We pray that we would know that you are with us and you will never fail us or forsake us. So come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Heavenly Father. Inhabit us. Overwhelm us. Surround us. Be above us, beneath us, before us, and behind us, and lead us on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.